Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Positively Trek, where we keep it positive even when we're being negative. My name is Barry DeFord, and I am excited to be the new voice on the podcast. And with me, as always, is Mr. Dan Gunther. How's it going, Dan? Hey, Barry. Really happy to be here. Really excited. This is our our first episode with just the two of us. Wait, is Bruce around somewhere? I haven't seen him. Hold on. <laughs> Let me just I'm gonna look under some furniture here. Bruce. I've replaced no. the padlocks, no. so I don't think he'll he'll be getting in now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the security camera outside is just gonna be Bruce huddled in the cold, waiting, coughing slightly, just waiting <laughs> out in the cold while we sit inside and eat fancy pastries and talk all things Star Trek. I'm excited. Ooh fancy pastries you know actually last week uh, we had the book club episode with the uh, star trek cookbook so i bet you there's some cool star trek pastries in there we could have we could uh cook up for us here that's what i was thinking right we have already got the we got the cookbook going that's that's good to see that the book club uh uh remains and i'm i'm happy that uh you're you're finding uh, very adequate uh, co-hosts for for such things. We've got a good one coming up next week that I'm excited about. So uh, yeah, Jesse Absolutely. Earl will be uh, rejoining the book club again. Woot! I'm excited. So one thing I want to ask Dan with the new sort of podcast uh, situation, me being here, things kind of changing, you talking uh, sort of existentially that if I had not said yes, this whole thing would have gone poof, which I've woken up in a cold sweat a few times over, but uh, <laughs> that's sorry. okay. No, no, that's all right. No, 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 it's all good. I like the idea that uh, I've I've brought a, a different, a different, you know, it's like um, to, to jump fandoms really, really quick. It's kind of like the Pacific Rim sort of thing that we're now running a different uh, a different thing to fight the kaiju. I forget what the big mechs are called, but uh, mm. like Gypsy Danger or something like that, you know? Anyways, what I want to ask you, Dan, just as we get started up here is, is you know, you and I are doing a same, same, but different show to some degree. And I'm wondering, do you want to keep the name and why would you want to keep the name Positively Trek? Yeah, I really, I, I appreciate what the name means and the impression it gives because I've always thought of myself as a very positive fan of Star Trek and the kind of mission statement, I guess, of this podcast was to inject a bit of that positivity into the discourse, especially at a time where there's a lot of negativity that at times was kind of threatening to drown good discussion, I think, about Star Trek. And, you know, over the last couple of years, there has been a little bit of misunderstanding about what Positively Trek means, what that name means. And, you know, I want to make it distinct from false positivity. It's not pretending to like something when you don't, or or it's not this false positiveness about something that maybe you don't feel completely 100% positive about all the time. It does include criticism. It does include things like, you know, valid concerns and 
dare I say, complaints or criticisms about this thing that we love, but always done in a positive manner, not calling down people, not calling people names, not being obtuse or angry for the sake of clicks and views, which is a lot of what I see going on out there. So, you know, kind of wanting to set us apart from that. So I I still feel the name is relevant and I think important to what I want to still bring to the Star Trek discourse. Yeah, thank you for that. That's a that's a really, really good explanation that that gives me a bit of thought, because obviously with me being on the show now, I have to see how that title and name fits in with me. And I think it's a lot of the same where there are things about Star Trek that I definitely don't like or haven't liked or haven't felt the same connection to. And there are different ways of seeing the show from many different multitudes of perspectives that sometimes to be a positive or or you know good friend or a good member of a community sometimes you have to point out where and when things are going wrong or maybe things need to change and i think that has been sort of where i've tried to sort of locate myself within the fandom all the time i don't want to say that i'm some kind of person who just sits in their tower and looks down on everything with this sort of critical viewpoint either i mean there's room for a lot of things in star trek that don't really have to do with me and that's pretty okay because we're all just segments of a much larger fandom and we all exist on very different planes of existence i guess you could say where where star trek means to us what it means to us all these sorts of things i like that idea and how we all fit is kind of what makes our nature and and what we are so i'm glad we're talking about our our topic today which is going to be on the experience of the con or going to a star trek centric Um, convention, say like Destination Star Trek, that would have just happened in the United Kingdom. I think it would be coming to an end today, if I'm correct. But uh, even if not, it's just recently passed. And I think that's important for our UK friends and folks who could make it to the UK for that. Um, I would be interested to see what they were thinking. Of course, I'd have to ask them now and we're already recording. So that's, that's not going to be a thing. But we can even revisit this conversation later, maybe. So you know, talking about what makes our our community go, as the packlets would say, <laughs> I do sort of wonder if we can kind of explode on that a little bit and maybe talking about positively Trek, because yeah, sometimes we're going to have to talk about stuff that isn't quote unquote, quote positive, but I think it's constructive in its criticism. And I appreciate that. I've always appreciated that about you guys anyway. So yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, that's really nice to hear. It's uh, like I said, there have been misunderstandings in the past about that. So, you know, if you're if you're listening to this podcast, if, if you're a new listener or a longtime listener and you're expecting effusive praise about everything, regardless of how we actually feel, that's not what we do. So uh, but, you know, we're positive you know that is that is in the name and it is you know kind of our brand a bit so positivity is important but not false positivity i'm smiling right now so if that's anything that that's probably a a good a good sort of indication as to where we're at right now well i think it's time we get on to the news dan what do you say that works for me let's do it so first up in the news here you've dropped something that i find 
amusing more. It said, so this is amusing news. I like the assonance in that amusing news. <laughs> Korean family U.S. drama series in works from Dr. Brian with director Ji Woon Kim and Star Trek pair Bo Yeon Kim and Erica Lippolt. What's the story here? Well, this is interesting. And, and I, I put this in the news for a couple of reasons. One, two, uh, sing the praises and celebrate the success of two people who have contributed a lot to the current crop of Star Trek, Star Trek Discovery in particular. Having spent two years teaching in Korea, I'm into, you know, stories about people from Korea and, and that sort of thing. So this kind of caught my eye for that reason. And of course, the fact that the writers are from Star Trek. Now, the flip side of this story, of course, is... Star Trek Section 31, this kind of long ago announced series that's been in this weird limbo. The showrunners had been announced, the showrunners being Bo Yeon Kim and Erica Lippold. Now the fact that they're showrunning this new show kind of has me wondering about the status of that project, which I think the last thing we heard from Alex Kurtzman quite a while ago now was that it's still a thing and still in the planning stages but we haven't really heard much since then. And then adding to that, the fact that Michelle Yeoh is showing up in all kinds of projects and is obviously a very busy person. So that all kind of has me wondering about the status of this as well. So, you know, on one hand, definitely want to celebrate the successes of these two very talented writers. But on the other hand, I kind of want to tap them on the shoulder and say, um, excuse me, what about... What about section 31? Yeah. Now, like, is the time for a really great Korean television cinematic explosion. It's it's really cool to see. I'm excited to see kind of Korean-centric work being made by Koreans for Koreans and for us to experience too, right? Like, mm-hmm. despite its, I'm going to say... It was a tad too gory and too visceral for me. I couldn't watch Squid Game, but not for one second am I going to deny the the prowess, the skill, the 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 cinematic masterpiece that a lot of things that are coming out of uh, South Korea right now, you know, um, Parasite as well. But even back kind of earlier, there were horror movies like The Host and stuff like that that just were were spine tingling and and riveting too. So. Um, to see these two working together on sort of a family drama that's, you know, Korean centric um, on American television, or at least to be, you know, possibly brought over to American television. I know uh, even Netflix here in Canada, we get some foreign language work that's sometimes awkwardly dubbed, um, but still pretty good. So yeah, I do think you're right that this is probably an indication of um the Section 31 series getting mothballed for a while. And again, I don't know. The, the the Star Trek that's out there is pretty great right now. I'm not really worried. Like, we're still, you know, a couple of seasons away from thinking about an end to Discovery. We're, like, like we were saying last time, right? There's still a fair amount of Star Trek left in what we have right now. So if things take a bit of a backseat or if they go in a couple of other directions, you know, it's great to see wonderful um, people in that industry getting work still and I wish them all the best and if they come back and do Star Trek great and if they don't well I don't know I think we're going to get some good projects out of them anyway 
Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't have put that better myself. I, I love the current crop of series. I know the official word from on high has kind of been the current five series are going to be left to to do what they'll do. And it's only when one of them ends that another one will kind of uh, be further explored and developed and, and eventually take its place. Now, of course, we do know Star Trek Picard is wrapping with its third and final season. But there are, you know, a number of projects that have been talked about and discussed. So we know, you know, Section 31. We also have this Starfleet Academy series they've been kind of talking about. And then one that was mentioned a while ago, we don't know anything about, but Alex Kurtzman has said there is another one that is currently being developed that has not been announced or given a premise or anything like that, uh, publicly speaking, that is. So who knows what that could be? Or, you know, I personally would love to see Bowie and Erica continue to uh have their influence in Star Trek because I think the work that they have done in particular has been excellent. But yeah. like you say, I, I can't do anything but wish them all the future success in whatever they do. And if they, if they grace Star Trek with their presence again, that would be wonderful. Yeah. I think with just sort of the kind of hyper fragmentation of so many different fandoms and stuff like that, the way streaming service has, really revolutionize the way people consume this type of media, right? You know, you think about, um, I hate to do the when we were kids sort of thing, but <laughs> we'd have to be home at a certain time to watch a certain thing. The, I mean, the only place where that really is somewhat meaningful still would be, you know, those series that people like to watch that get released weekly or something like a sport, right? If you really, really want to watch it live for some reason or, you know, whatever. I'm, I just sort of think that there are more options for Star Trek now than there ever have been, you know, plus the back catalog. And if you think about the fandom of Star Trek over time, we have weathered, you know, small spits and spurts and then long droughts of absolutely no new content and, you know, certain little latency phases and everything. And I read an article, or at least I kind of glanced over an article on the social media somewhere, basically saying that with the new season of Star Trek Discovery coming in 2023, it's sort of ushered in. And despite some of its, you know, stops and starts Discovery even had um, at the very, very start, it has sort of ultimately f ushered in the new golden age of Star Trek. And I guess seeing these producers and writers and directors and actors come in from all different sides, right? Seasoned ones, brand new ones. And even if they then move on and do other things, you know, it's it's pretty cool. You know, as much as we joke around about J.J. Abrams making Star Trek 2009 as basically a resume to do Star Wars, I don't know. I still really think that as part of this larger story of Star Trek, even if we wound up eventually kind of getting Star Trek out for a while and we had another latency period, I don't really feel like it would necessarily be a bad thing. I'm going to smoke them while we got them, I guess you could say, using <laughs> sort of antiquated military terms, but um, I'm really excited we have a whole bunch now. But if something like Section 31 doesn't happen, it's just not going to fuss me. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, and out there, there are some people who are like, no, it must happen. And it's like, cool, I'm glad for you. And it's wonderful. But um, yeah, like I said, I really want to watch Prodigy. That's that's the one that I'm going to get into next, I think. I think you won't be disappointed. Prodigy is just the perfect example of 
this new era of Star Trek where there's really there, there really is something for everyone. And if some aspect of Star Trek doesn't appeal to you, there's probably some other part of it that does, which is really interesting. And I mean, I don't want to disparage Star Trek of the past because I'm a lifelong diehard Star Trek fan. I've loved it for as long as I can remember. But it feels like gone are the days where, oh, there's a new series coming. Okay, it's going to be on a ship with a crew and the title is going to be the ship name and, and it's just going to be kind of similar episodic episodes you know blah 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 you know if you want that you've got strange new worlds and they're doing it amazingly but there's not going to be two or three of those shows on at the same time there's going to be different things different flavors of star trek and i consider myself one of the lucky ones that is enjoying the heck out of all of it but not everyone is going to be like that and that's fine yeah i think so and so Anyway, getting on that little rabbit hole on on people coming and going from the Star Trek fandom and understanding that it's sort of come and gone, and we are in a pretty great time right now, like straight up. Let's move on to other areas where Star Trek has always sort of had a kind of latent present, and that is in the board gaming genres of, of, uh, of entertainment. So Star Trek Ascendancy. I have played Star Trek Panic. I have played... Um, what's that other one where you're kind of in like dog fights? Um, attack wing, I believe attack wing. Yeah. I've played star Trek attack wing. Um, there's this really terrible game from like the seventies or the eighties that I think is just called star Trek. And it's like <laughs> a, a question and answer like trivia game. And it's, it is brutal. Like it is absolutely brutal. Some of the hardest questions I've ever been asked. So I desperately want to try you one day, Ooh. Dan, on some of these. Yeah. That sounds fun. <laughs> like they are, they're brutal <laughs> questions. It's like, they're like, who was the lead gaffer in the second season? <laughs> like it's, it's, it's Oh, nuts. that guy. No, I'm just kidding. Wow. Yeah, you're like, oh, <laughs> Ben Swanson. <laughs> Not, uh, anyway, I just made up a name there. I just tried to think of something 60s. I don't know. Uh, anyways. <laughs> So what's this what's this Star Trek Ascendancy uh, and should I play it? Um okay. Uh, I'm going to answer your second question first, which is to say yes, I have this game. You need to come over and play it, which we could do cuz we're in the same pl- city, which is wild to me. But yippee. To answer your your first question, uh yeah, it's a tabletop game. You kind of build the board as you go by exploring worlds and and you play as kind of a major faction there's like the federation the klingons the romulans i think that initial set had those three there have been further expansions of the ferengi the vulcans there's a borg expansion the main reason i i put this story in the news and i'll link to it in the show notes it's a review of a couple of new expansions for star trek ascendancy uh is because i haven't really been paying attention to this game for a while and there's apparently more expansions that i had no idea about that are floating around out there and uh, yeah we've got the dominion war expansion and the breen confederacy expansions so the breen yeah And that's what I'm loving about this is it's really kind of digging into niche areas where, like I said, that initial game is like Federation Klingon Romulan, like, you know, every other thing that has factions in Star Trek out there. And I love that they're, they're going to these places and doing these uh, different games, but 
yeah, Barry, you would love this. It's like it's like resource building and uh, fleet building, and there's different ways to win and all that kind of stuff. It, it's pretty cool. Hmm. I've always found um, the Breen to be a frustrating and fascinating species within the Star Trek world. And I wish, again, sorry, I mean, Dan, I love it that you're here and everything like that, but I wish Bruce was here because now I am dying to ask him if he subscribes to the thought that the Breen are the crossover between Star Wars and Star Trek. Mm. Um, a lot of people have made mention that Princess Leia's outfit when she's in disguise at Jabba's palace in the movie Return of the Jedi. As the bounty hunter Bosk, yeah. Thank you. And um, and that the Breen's helmet is is strikingly similar, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, a kind of similar way of talking as well, um, all that sort of stuff. Um, and so I would be interested to know what he and anyone else thinks about that. I, I don't really know if I take a side there. I mean, it would be charming um, if... If, you know, we could find some kind of connector piece there, or, or if even if maybe the, the costume designers intentionally did a little nod there, who knows, right? That would be interesting to look into. I wonder who would know. Hmm. I, I should sniff around, see if we can find out if there was, is if there is any like, you know, behind the scenes commentary on, on if that's the case. But I would love to play as the Breen because I think if... I knew the sort of the mechanics of the game. Um, I would want to be as aggressive and just sort of cunning like the Breen were. And I would definitely, if there was a defiant to destroy, I would destroy it. Ooh, them's fighting words. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. The Breen are an interesting one, if we can just go on a mini tangent here, because they're a species that was, I believe, mentioned several times as this mysterious force out there kind of thing before they were actually shown. And the first time they were shown, I believe, was season four of Deep Space Nine, the episode Return to Grace, where they're rescuing. Well, they don't realize at the time what they're going to do, but they end up that's where they rescue Zial from the Breen. She's being held prisoner with a a number of other Bajoran prisoners and stuff. So I think that's the first time we see that costume. So I think we need to talk to the costume designer on Deep Space Nine season four and and see what the heck that was all about yeah i wonder we'll probably yeah we'll we'll just we'll just ring them up see if we can find them <laughs> exactly awesome well i am i am excited and i do i do want to get into playing more tabletop games and yes the fact that you and i are within cartwheeling distance of each other we should probably make that a thing and give it a shot because yeah i i uh i dust my star trek tabletop games more than i play them and it should should not be the case yeah that sadly is the case for me as well before we move on to our final piece of news i i did want to put this in the news in the news and i totally forgot uh we didn't mention in the last episode a couple of other quick pieces of news that came out of star trek day and that is in the area of star trek podcasts and that is the return of the pod directive hosted by tawny newsome and paul f Tompkins. very excited about that but also and i just wanted your quick thoughts on this barry as well the star trek con seti alpha 5 podcast which seems to be the kind of a few years ago there was the idea that nicholas meyer was going to be helming kind of a limited series about that you know khan's time on seti alpha 5 between space seed and star trek 2 the wrath of khan that idea seems to have been turned into an audio 
podcast, a, a, a narrative story podcast uh, that's being put out by officially um, the powers that be behind Star Trek. So what, what do you think of that? That's that's kind of an interesting piece of news that I honestly did not see coming. Well, as someone who just loves podcasts, this is definitely something I'm going to pick up. Uh, my commute is really long every day. I have time. Nick Meyer's a lot of fun. So these sorts of sort of serialized podcasts that tell a story, um, obviously I'm making a weird bonk bonk on the head to the podcast called Serial. Um, I do, I do like it. And why not? You know, I mean, it's basically someone's going to read a Star Trek novel to us is really, it's just, it, it, it plays like an audio book to me. And even if they use, you know, like radio show actors or something like that, um, you know, I just hope that whoever does the voice for Khan uh, has picked up on their Ricardo Montalban accent to get it as perfect as possible. Yeah, I've got to say, I don't envy the task before that particular actor, whoever they may be. You know, the the closest thing I can think of, of course, is probably uh, Zachary Quinto or Ethan Peck picking up the mantle of Spock. But as I, I want to say the fine folks over at Weekly Trek, I think they were the ones that made this point. And it's a very good point is that the Spocks they're playing are very different from this, the Leonard Nimoy Spock, whereas this con is at a very particular point in his life and in between Space Seed and Wrath of Khan, like you kind of have to just get that character right. There's not a lot of, I could be wrong, but it feels like there's not as much room for interpretation there. So I feel like that's going to be a challenging assignment. I really look forward to hearing what they have planned for this though. Yeah, it'll be fun. And I, I, I guess, yeah, whatever they want to throw at us. The important thing is giving Nick Meyer another kick at the can and not having to worry about all of those other production-y sorts of things. You know, I wonder, I wonder how deep he's going to actually go. Um, I mean, limited series, I would say maybe what we're probably looking at about 10 episodes. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, more to come on this. We'll, we'll report it as soon as we find out. I'm, I'm excited and I'm sure when it's released, we'll talk about it on the podcast for sure. Yeah. I just had a sudden thought of like putting together one of these tabletop games and then sort of narrating through it to see if people would find that interesting. Ooh, that could be cool. You know, this is an, the total aside, but, and I've mentioned this on the podcast several times, but I bought a bunch of like the starter stuff for the Star Trek Adventures RPG game, yeah, which sits wrapped in cellophane, untouched and sad for like, I don't know what it's been like four or five years now. Okay. So we're going to do a live and <laughs> I think we should get some people involved and yeah, we'll do a whole, a whole thing because the other thing, Ooh, maybe some Patreon. Yeah. Well, I'm uh that, that would be perfect. Yes. Um, I have been wanting to play Star Trek, um, bridge crew for however many years it's been around and I still haven't been able to, there's a VR place in town. What am mm. I doing, man? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think that would be a very nice sort of consolation to uh, to play a really good Star Trek RPG and like do it live or something like that. Oh, that would be so much fun. I, I can't believe I have all this stuff and it's just, it's being unused. So yeah. We'll put it to use. We'll definitely do it. That's cool. Well, on, on a bit of a sadder note and actually like surprising sad note, and, and I'm actually surprised, like, I don't know, the good ones... You know, there's a there's a point in the the TV show Futurama that if something is done right, no one knows anything's been done at all. And and not to say that 
that's how I feel about her work. But the great Louise Fletcher and her portrayal of Kai Wynn was a character you just loved to hate, right? Like she did such a phenomenal job at creating a Trek villain that you kind of always felt a redemption arc was underway or maybe, and then she just stick the dagger even deeper, right? And just like went unrepentant, you know, like um, she really did a fantastic job and and she's gone now and that really sucks. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that she's passed away, but uh, she will be remembered uh, in the great pantheon of Trek villains uh, up there with Ricardo Montalban. I would say. Absolutely. Yeah. Kai Wynn was just always such a presence on Deep Space Nine. And our heroes aren't heroes without a foil to to play off against. And she was the she was she was the match of any of them. One of my favorite moments of Wins was it's it's one of the rare moments where the writers allow you to empathize with her character just slightly. Like she's come on the station. And as usual, Cisco and Kira are kind of rolling their eyes and, and being like, oh, we have to deal with this person who's, you know, just such a handful and all this stuff. And Kira is being her brusque self with Wynn and Wynn is obviously picking up on it. And usually she's returning that with those sickly sweet words that, you know, are actually devoid of any kind of warm feelings. But there's one moment where she gets visibly angry with Kira and says, you know, you in the resistance don't understand what we in the faith had to go through during the occupation. And she talks about, you know, how people of of her faith were persecuted and they risked their lives by hiding people and all this kind of stuff. And at the end of that scene, it's one of those moments where Kira actually looks a little bit chastened by what Wynne has said. And it's yeah. a very rare moment of kind of vindication for this character. Now, the rest of the episode plays out and she's up to her usual political machinations. But for that one moment, you are you get a little bit of empathy for Wynne. And I love that every character on Deep Space Nine, regardless of what they have done... They're so well-written and so well-rounded that you have those moments where you can empathize with one of the most, and I'm going to trot out the E word here, one of the most evil people. They still have yeah. those moments where they're, they're written as sympathetic. Well, and, and to have that, you know, sympathy for the bad guy every now and again. I mean, even even in certain cases, one could feel bad for Goldicott and and sort of feel like, ah, oh, geez, you know, that's, that sucks kind of thing. I mean, there's, there's the loss of his daughter, obviously, which, um, obviously, you know, is what tears him apart. But like, I don't know, just getting into how Louise Fletcher and Marco Limo, the way they played off each other in the final season there and the, the grossness of it and also sort of the, the casualness that they, that they put together. Like, I really like the way they play off each other, but now swinging back to kind of what you said about how Kai Wynn's character still did, you know, suffer under the occupation. And part of her attitude and behavior is a result of probably being warped by the experience of an occupation like that, right? Um, but I think I, the other piece of this is Louise Fletcher herself as an actor, and I'd mentioned this about Michael Dorn the last we spoke, um, in how much he did to build the Klingon 
uh, race into the world of Star Trek. You know, I mean, who am I? Who am I to 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 not talk about Nana Visitor and, and what she did as well for the Bajorans, but to kind of bring up that side of like the the potential for a darkness within Bajoran culture, Louise Fletcher really articulated that well the opportunist the survivor the one warped by what she had to do under the occupation and the fact that that kind of almost radioactivity doesn't leave you right um as much as i think people who kira was close with and kira herself i think for the most part and you see it the most in like duet where you really realize the fight isn't over in kira's heart she's still very much a freedom fighter she's still very much a revolutionary still very much trying to resist against oppression and the potential for oppression you see kai win instead of being the victim she will be the victor right she's the one who is going to assert herself and step over anyone to do it and yeah louise fletcher put in 110 percent and became a a villain who like i said you love to hate but in that we love her and we'll miss her um and i mean she has some acting chops i mean she won an oscar man (laughs) like she's 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 serious talent like again we're we're lucky to to count her among us uh in our in our star trek world it's pretty cool 100 percent, yeah absolutely that was my next point too for sure was over the years star trek has just been so lucky to get actors of this caliber and you know like you said an academy award winner for one flew over the cuckoo's nest and countless other roles that she's had where she brought that level of talent uh just amazing and very very sad to lose her for sure Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Positively Trek would not be possible without our supporters on Patreon. Thank you all so much who have donated to keep the show going. Including our Constitution class supporters, Joyce Marin, Justin Ozer, Jim Stoffel, Jesse Earle, Dave Garcia, Rick Young, and Paul D. Kinnear. Thank you all so very much. We really do appreciate it. If you'd like to support Positively Trek, simply go to patreon.com slash positivelytrek. You can join at one of our many levels and get early access to episodes, ad-free versions of episodes, associate producer credits, in-episode shoutouts, exclusive content, and much more. Once again, that's patreon.com slash positivelytrek. Thanks again. And now let's get back to the show. So about, what, two weeks ago-ish, you and I sat down and we spoke a little bit about what our first episode was going to be on. And we were going to do something of a qualitative analysis around people's experience going to the conventions. And the first thing I noticed was it is difficult sometimes to get a hold of people when we're busy and everyone's doing stuff and they don't want to answer these sort of long form questions. So we wound up asking the fine folks in the Positively Trek discussion group. And thank you very much to those of you who did respond. I'm not going to use names. I think I'm just going to sort of mention around what people said. And if you're on the group, you can join and 
uh, have a look at what people said specifically. Uh, does that work for you, Dan? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, we got some interesting answers and stuff. So that's at the Positively Trek discussion group. I'm just going to put in the little plug here. So if you're not a part of that group yet, search that out on Facebook. Uh, you have to answer some questions and agree to the group rules, and we'll let you right in. Yeah, so the, f- the questions, we had seven, and they sort of just go around your your first experience at a con and our our aims were to sort of get a sense for what the culture felt like like to a newcomer or to someone who you know depend depending on how much trek they'd consumed before showing up at the con uh, what their experience was as well so the seven questions are when was your first convention Second was describe your fandom at your first convention, kind of giving it like an out of 10 or something like that. And did it change afterwards? Did you go alone or with others? Uh, What impressions did you get from sort of the con culture? Did you feel safe? Uh, Will or did you go back? And were there any interactions with the uh, stars or other convention goers that were mostly notable to you? I think I might have changed the questions a little bit from that. But more or less, just to kind of get a sense of what the the culture was. And I want to talk maybe really quick, firstly, about the limitations of our little questionnaire. And one of them was just time, people not being available and stuff like that. But also just understanding that there are a lot of people who have never been to a Star Trek convention who may never be able to get to one for a myriad of circumstances. So I think also we can branch this conversation after we've talked about the specific convention-y stuff to the greater online community and sort of you know, within different municipalities and places, we can talk a little more about how this might translate into the rest of Trek uh, culture. Going to a convention or not doesn't make you any more of a Star Trek fan than anyone else. It's just something that Dan and I share an opportunity for. And I think it's important to to talk into that because, yeah, I've made a lot of lasting friendships by going. And um, if you can ever make it, I would highly recommend it. Absolutely. I'll second all of that for sure. And you know, I'll I'll even remember when I was a huge Star Trek fan before I'd ever gone to a convention. I always used that as a bit of a qualifier, like, oh, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I love Star Trek, but I, I've never been to a convention. Like, I'm not I'm not one of those fans. Like, they're crazy, right? Until I went to my first convention and then realized what an amazing experience it was. So, you know, fandom can evolve over the course of time like that, and uh, judgment going both ways where there probably shouldn't be. I would I would agree with you. And and talking about people's experiences at the conventions and getting to see what other people have to say, I wouldn't necessarily say that my biases have been confirmed or anything like that. But I do sort of note a pretty common feel throughout the people who did talk about just the their experience in general. And I think the biggest thing is that People tend to be very engaging, very cajoling, just sort of, you know, kind of there's a lot of things happening at once. There's a lot of people going to, you know, different things. There's a lot of going and coming and people back and forthing a lot. And the big piece of it is, is I think everyone kind of finds a place for themselves. Everyone sort of ends up finding their their specific group within it. There haven't been really any ultra negative ones that I that I noticed in the responses, um, unless maybe I'm reading it wrong. Yeah, I would I would agree that the response has been mostly positive appropriately. So I guess for the podcast, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, I, I feel like 
you know, and, and there, there's a sample bias, as you've said as well, because I'm sure people who had negative experiences would maybe not be gravitating towards, you know, maybe Star Trek podcasts or discussions about conventions or that kind of thing. There's maybe that to acknowledge, but I, I, th- I think, yeah, it's been generally the more positive experiences has been, have been highlighted here. Yeah. So maybe just kind of talking again, sort of long form, is the concept of diversity within the Star Trek community. When you are at the convention, and I've only been to Vegas conventions in terms of like Star Trek centric ones, is you find people who are wearing, you know, Hollywood quality makeup, people who have clearly made DIY stuff, and then a myriad of people who are sometimes wearing, you know, t-shirt jeans, sort of your classic Western society, you know, I'm just casually walking around, you know, shorts with cargo pockets in them or whatever. And then you get people who are, you know, dressed up a little bit, you know, this way or that way. I mean, I think really kind of what I'm getting at here is, is if you want to find it, you'll find it. And the amount of diversity in the way people dress is just one component of that. Going further into it, you see people who are expressing their inborn nature in ways that maybe they might not be able to in other venues and formats. Um, I don't want to necessarily out anybody, but the amount of trans friends who I have made in the Star Trek community is something that I value very greatly. And so I think the acceptance of that diversity is the other piece of it. Um, Being a a former member of the Tricorder Transmissions podcast network back in the day, I was honored to be uh, welcomed to join and participate in the the, uh, night of diversity that they had in would have been 2018, I believe, and getting to meet Wilson Cruz and Anthony Rapp there, getting to sit kind of back, whatever stage, I guess you could say with them was really cool. But I think ultimately understanding that that whole night was made for people to feel safe, people to feel comfortable, people, people to feel accepted, and that they can be their natural true selves that they feel within themselves in a way that's authentic. Uh, and getting to use the Star Trek medium for that, I think that's sort of the nifty conduit or the nifty appeal about going to these cons is all of those things about yourself that you might feel anxious about, that you might feel unsure about, you can give it a real shot there. You can dress, you can act, you can convey yourself more authentically in this artificial environment. So kind of with that starting salvo of words and and concepts, uh, what are your thoughts on that, Dan? Yeah, that really speaks to me, that idea of going and being kind of your true self at an event like this. People's experiences will, of course, be different depending on who you talk to. But I think for the most part, the Star Trek community is very accepting and very open to new ideas. I mean, that's kind of the basis of what Star Trek is about, if you're paying any kind of attention to it. And I know, speaking for myself, my first time going to a convention, I went by myself. There was no one that I was traveling with, but I immediately found myself surrounded by a ton of people with whom I had something very apparent in common with. And all of those things that 
you know, you maybe feel isolated about when you're at school, at work, people find out you're a Star Trek fan, maybe there isn't another Star Trek fan in whatever community that is, that can make you feel a little bit ostracized, a little bit like, oh, you like Star Trek, that's kind of weird, that's, mm, you know, nerd, geek, whatever. When you find yourself at these events surrounded by people that share this in common with you, it's, yeah, it's an immediate feeling of acceptance, which can be pretty heady the first time when you're kind of experiencing that. And uh, it can sometimes be a little overwhelming, but in mostly a good way, I think, because you're surrounded, like I say, with people that you know you can at least have a conversation about something with, you know, and uh, it, it's it's a lot of fun and it's it's a unique experience that I would find really hard to replicate any other way. There's an electricity that I that I remember feeling in uh, would have been 2017 when I went the first time. There was um, a feeling of potential. There was a feeling of the sky was the limit, I guess is the best way of putting it, that um, I could myself even, you know, I don't really have a lot necessarily to complain about in terms of my life and my lifestyle, you know, how I code, all that sort of stuff. So me donning a next generation costume really wasn't anything outside of what one would expect in the Rio when I went and stuff like that. So as much as um, if I was to say wear a Star Trek outfit just to a restaurant with friends, that would be a much larger statement than me wearing a Star Trek costume at a Star Trek convention in a place known for Star Trek. Like, I guess like for me, the stakes weren't really that high. And I can't really speak to someone say, you know, who was misgendered at birth, expressing their inborn uh, nature and their and mm -hmm. their true gender. I mean, that still takes just an amount of bravery that uh, I can't necessarily uh, fathom at the moment. But the fact that we do see that happening, maybe a bit more, maybe a bit more, um, and you say, you know, that accepting nature is something that maybe we should wear with a bit of pride. Not, not I'm trying to say that, that we should be snooty about it or anything. And, you know, folks who are, say, trans or have, you know, not no connection to the binary that we create um, in our society, that they have to be a Trek fan to be able to do that. But... Um, I do think that it's something that we should take very seriously as a fandom um, and be very, very, you know, you know, it, there's a matter of giving attention without trying to tokenize mm -hmm. those, those fans as well. But I do think that they deserve our acceptance in a way that, that we can be open about and vocal about, but again, trying not to tokenize as well at the same time. Something just occurred to me, and I'm, I'm wondering your thoughts on this. Like, what about subgroups within the larger group? So, you know, I, I am a fan of pretty much all Star Trek with, you know, the the usual sort of exceptions here and there where I'm like, oh, I didn't care for that film. That episode is ridiculous. I don't tend to watch that on rewatches, yada, yada, yada. But like, broadly speaking... I like most of Star Trek. Now, there are, I believe, subgroups within the fandom. Like, maybe there's new fans that only like the new shows. That's all they've watched. They've not gone back to see the older shows. Maybe there's fans that only have really watched the Kelvin Timeline films because, you know, they really like Chris Pine and that crew. And they find out that Zachary Quinto is going to be at this convention. They really want to go to meet him. 
et cetera, et cetera. Have you, when you've gone to a convention, seen kind of friction between those groups or uh, acceptance? Has that been something you've observed? I haven't really noticed any friction in a, um, I don't know. There has been friction. There has been, you know, areas where tension and conflict has been in certain cases necessary. So on sort of individual levels, definitely there have been, you know, little factions and stuff. And I mean, self-critically, I've been a part of some of that. It really hasn't done any favors to the Star Trek fandom. And my hope is, is that at the very least, any of those divisions are are just water under the bridge. And I, I definitely believe in a live and let live kind of, uh, kind of thing there. But um, I guess like, you, you can you can avoid people you need to avoid, and I think that's another important piece of it. And people are typically pretty mindful of that, I've noticed. I do have to say, though, that one can get lonely. Uh, one time my flight arrived late, friends who I was supposed to meet up with ended up having to go without me, so I was just sort of stuck. And the problem is, is I was staying at their hotel, so I was just stuck in the lobby <laughs> waiting. Uh-huh. And it was kind of weird because, like, I couldn't get into the actual convention because I didn't... It was my by that point it was closed like they were pretty much done for the night and there was like about a 45 minute period where i was just sort of waiting by the eye bar seeing other star trek fans come and go and i think even like one famous person probably walked by or something and though i knew they were convention goers i had no context from which to approach or speak to them so obviously i didn't you know that can kind of feel a little weird i can say and then there were other times you know during conventions where ostensibly people went in different directions and i just sort of didn't make my mind up in time and I didn't really want to go to the things they were doing. And so I just sort of wandered around on my own for a little while, which had a weird loneliness to it. But at the same time, I was able to just kind of do my own thing. So I don't know, there, there are, there are a lot of exchanges. There are a lot of sort of dynamic things happening uh, within the convention. It's not all super happy, but maybe kind of talking about the culture itself, the fact that I feel okay about a lot of those things. And, you know, if there was any sort of moments of conflict, they don't feel permanent and they don't feel like they're going to necessarily, you know, completely destroy a person's entire experience, I guess. Like I got really sick my second time around so much so that like my sinuses were going to blow up on the airplane when I was flying back home again. And, uh, I don't know. I still felt I still felt like I had a good time. Like I think back of like those last that last day was pretty brutal, but at the same time, I still enjoyed all the people I went with. I didn't get anyone else sick, which was good, and overall it still was a enjoyable uh a time that I had. Absolutely. That's that's interesting about the little bits of loneliness. I remember that first convention I went to, like I said, I went by myself. I'd never been to one. I I hadn't really traveled by myself before that time. I really lucked out. I think I had a a captain's chair ticket or or whatever the, the second tier at the time was. And I ended up sitting next to this person who's now become, you know, a lifelong friend. And we still talk quite a bit. I I really lucked out there making that connection 
having that assigned seat and somebody that I could see kind of throughout all of the three days I was there kind of thing. I, I would imagine that had that not happened, had I sat next to someone who I couldn't connect with and, and just, you know, didn't really make that sort of um, connection with that, that would have been a much different weekend. And I might've come away from that convention feeling very different about my experience and stuff. So I think those experiences, they're definitely valid and I'm sure they do happen quite a bit. I have talked to people in the past who I, I unfortunately wasn't able to get in touch with for this episode, although I tried, who mentioned, you know, having a negative experience at their first convention and then never going back afterwards. And, you know, I kind of want to dig down into that a little bit and find out, you know, what happened or even if it wasn't a specific thing that happened like this general experience, what made that something that wasn't fulfilling to you? And uh, yeah, I'm really curious about those experiences for sure. One thing that is important about the convention is the interactions with the, um, the, the stars. And I want to bring that up really quickly in the sense that all of my interactions with Star Trek stars, and again, it would be nice to have some other side of the, the coin, you know, have we had bad interactions with any of them? And I'm certain there have been bad interactions. Um, everyone comes with uh, whatever they're bringing in that day. So if, you know, if a star is having a hard day or they're feeling overwhelmed, or even if just a convention goer is feeling, you know, off, it can really affect things. But uh, thinking about all of my interactions, it's it's always been pretty positive. I think my favorite one was when I was walking down the like the main drag getting to the big delta depending on what it what, what year it was and I forget which one it was but Nicole DeBoer was walking on her own uh played Ezri Dax in the latter uh portion of Deep Space 9 uh for anyone who haven't hasn't seen her doesn't recognize her name so I I walk a little bit faster and I notice she's on her cell phone and so I don't bother her until I notice she's off her cell phone and then I kind of walk a little further and I said hello Nicole DeBoer and she said hello and then she looked at me and saw I was in a, a Voyager uniform and she looked at me and went hello Star Trek fan <laughs> and it was a cool little a little interaction. I just said, "Hey, I just wanted to say hi. I'm not going to bug you. Um, hope you have a good. Hope you're having a good con." And she said, "No, that's fine." She said, "Where are you from?" And I said, "Oh, I'm I'm Canadian too." And she's like, "Oh, cool." And we talked a bit back and forth there. And uh, she told me she was. I think she was texting her daughter or something like that. And um, then I, I left her when she went to go line up at the Starbucks. But it was it, it's that sort of thing where, you know. <laughs> Sometimes stars just don't want to talk and that's really fine. You know, they, they have, they have things to do. They, they experience life differently from us. And, and sometimes we might expect much of them when we want to say hi to them and stuff like that. But for the very most part, I have found that most of the stars are pretty relaxed at the conventions. They typically seem more or less happy to be there and happy to see us. And I don't know if that's been your experience as well or not. Yeah, definitely. My interactions have generally been very positive. I think my first interaction with one of the stars outside of, you know, visiting their signing table or, or doing a photo op was that first convention I went to. And I want to say that was, I think that was 2010, the first one I went to STLV and I was in the elevator at, at the time, the Las Vegas Hilton and Mark Alimo, Gul Dukat, got onto the elevator with me. And there were a couple other people on the elevator who I think were just in the hotel, not Star Trek fans. 
And uh, I was just gobsmacked <laughs> that this person whose character I've watched on television and, and greatly admired his acting for years uh, was riding the elevator with me. And I didn't say anything. I was way too nervous. I, maybe I would have said something now, but at the time it was just so overwhelming and such a new experience to me that I, he probably saw me glancing every, you know, two seconds just to be like, whoa, it's, it's Mark Alimo, it's Goldicott. And at whatever floor it was that he got off, he, the doors open, he kind of looked and just gave me a little smile and a nod and, and walked on his way. And I just, I'll always remember that because he didn't need to do that. He could have just, you know, rolled his eyes and, oh, you know, attention from a Star Trek fan, but even just, you know, not verbally saying anything, but just acknowledging me and, and nodding and saying, yep, it's me. Have a good day kind of thing with, with just an, just a gesture. Uh, I, I really appreciated that. That was pretty cool. It's uh it's warm. There's warmth, I guess is the best way to put it. You know, um, I sat at a table at the I bar next to Mark Alimo and Casey Biggs and a number of other, you know, Star Trek folk and then just people they'd brought along. And yeah, there was never any interaction whatsoever. We were just doing our thing and they were doing their thing. And, yeah, I mean, we might have had to pass each other walking, you know, by one another's table to get something to drink or or whatever. But I didn't really feel compelled even to say hello or anything to them. It just sort of felt casual and okay just to be with the friends that I had and do the things we were doing. And I think there was sort of a, I think, again, that kind of if something's done right, you don't know anything's been done at all kind of feel. I think they just were content with the fact that we were content. <laughs> and I think that's something that's that's great. And, and maybe that's how I, how and why it translates to fan fans and convention goers who are, you know, maybe coming out of out of their shells or coming into their own a little more, um, those sorts of things, just the, the casual nature and the casual atmosphere. Not to belabor conventions too much, but I do want to kind of move into a final phase of this discussion, and that is leaving. And ultimately realizing that there has never been a convention that I have not cried at the end of. I remember the first one, when and where I cried. I remember the second one, when and where I cried. And then the third one was even more important. Um, two friends of mine, uh, Lyrian and Jamie McGregor from Australia, I'd realized that, you know, this was before COVID, realizing I wasn't going to go to the 2020 con, wasn't sure when they were going to go. Maybe I'm psychic and I knew it was going to be much longer than a few years before I'd see them again. But uh, um, that was really tough uh, to say, to say goodbye to them as I was sort of walking out of the main concert or the main convention hall area and up the, that long sad walk uh, back to my room to to eventually leave did you find that has it been hard to leave the convention yeah i mean absolutely it's uh it's otherworldly it feels like uh you know just to kind of extend the metaphor it feels like you're in a different world you're on a different planet with your people you know and it's tough to leave that and and go back to real life which is a weird way to put it but that's that's the way it feels it feels like you're in this other place that is special and kind of designed for you like it's it's heady it's it's a bit of a drug you know you're kind of 
hooked on that while you're there and it feels like coming down a little bit when when you're leaving and that has certainly been my experience uh saying goodbye to friends that you've made there and friends that at the very least you know it'll be a year before you see them again and in this most recent case of course significantly longer which has been tough for sure and uh yeah, it's 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 hard to describe that feeling if you haven't experienced it. It hits you in a way that you don't expect. And uh, that's absolutely been my experience as well. So what I want to maybe think of and, and maybe kind of get this out right now is I think what makes the convention so important and so enjoyable and so wonderful is the fact that it is only a few days is the fact that your time with all of these wonderful people getting to be themselves is very fleeting and maybe what it, it does for me is it's it's an invigorating experience that i feel i feel very fortunate and privileged to be able to have experienced even just three times and and hopefully more in the future is the fact that what makes it so sweet what makes it so lovely is the fact that it is so incredibly short and impermanent, right? People count down, you know, years in advance before they end up going. And then in that blink of an eye, in those few days, or sometimes, you know, you can't stay for the entire convention yourself. Um, it is just that fleeting moment and time that makes it so much so important. And maybe that's why, you know, you see people in the in the moods that they're in, happy and cajoling and warm and inviting because we don't get that very often. I think that's a really good point for sure. And I mean, I, I think the, the entire structure of it, right? Like it's whether it's three days, four days, five days, however long it is, you're sitting before it starts and you're planning out what you're going to do because you know you have limited time, right? And you're like, well, I definitely want to see this. I definitely want to do this. Oh, but this is at the same time as that. Well, I'm going to try and do that. You know, all of those little compromises, those little things that I think is a huge part of the fun. And I'm trying to imagine what a year long Star Trek convention would be like. And <laughs> it'd be terrible. I agree. Yeah. I think, <laughs> you know, for me being the Star Trek fan that I am, I feel like the first three weeks would still be pretty amazing. But then it would drop very quickly downhill after that. And yeah, that point that it's this limited time and, and you're kind of rushing to do the things you want to do and you're ever cognizant of that fast approaching Sunday evening that you know is coming in which this will all end and everything will start to be put away and everything will start to be packed up and yeah, it's uh, it's made all the sweeter, as you say, because it's fleeting and if it were, you know, there's, there's an old joke that I heard, or maybe I'm just making this up out of whole cloth that like, you know, a Star Trek convention would be heaven to a Star Trek fan and hell to a Star Trek star. But I think an eternal Star Trek convention would be hell no matter who you are, because yep. it would be the norm. And it's it's kind of the whole reason why maybe the Judeo-Christian idea of heaven always just kind of turns me off a little bit, because like, what is perfection everlasting? 
I feel like that would get very old very fast. Not to say a Star Trek convention is perfection, but it's the closest I've found on planet Earth. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a lot of energy, too. And I think that's the other piece of it is, you know, I don't sleep very much when I'm when I'm conning and, and, and stuff like that. And and it is a, a great expenditure of emotional and physical and, and however you parse it in your mind, spiritual energy, right? There's a lot of a lot of swirling stuff. I mean, in most of these convention spaces, you know, you and I typically will will think to Vegas sort of thing. And and Vegas itself just has a lot of Vegas is a lot. Yes. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> my goodness. I've I've been there. Remarkably, I've been there four times, three times for Star Trek conventions and then once um, with my fiance. And she and I actually like I actually have actually been to Vegas now. Like I've seen more than just the Rio and like part of the strip, because when I went to the last uh, conventions in Vegas, that's all I really did. I didn't have an interest of going anywhere else. But yeah, Vegas is is wild. It's Mm -hmm. (laughs) holy hell. (laughs) Anyway, that's a whole other conversation for another day. But, you know, most of these conventions are in in pop you know densely populated areas london chicago vegas um you know what have you yeah to to be in those high energy high impact super colorful places it's it's sweet and and i love cake right i love sweets i love tasty things like that but if i ate it all the time i'd be sick and i think that's it too is we need the breaks away. We need to re-engage with that larger, more sustainable fandom. And I mean, one of those is is being online. And, and the online Star Trek fandom has its places, its no-go spots and stuff like that. But I do find, for the most part, and, and getting to see the reactions and conversation from the folks in the Positively Trek discussion, um, obviously I've been in the a few other Trek discussion groups in my day on Facebook in the past, but it is that that similar warmth. I, I see that regardless of if you've ever been to a con or not, um, the acceptance, the warmth, and I think this this leads us into a greater discussion later about some of the interesting and unique and remarkable elements of Star Trek fandom. So I think I want this to be something of a part one to a larger series where you and I talk in that sort of positively Trek fashion about Star Trek fandom, its development, um, its dynamics, and what it's becoming. Because I see Star Wars fandom out there, I see other fandoms, people who like other sorts of things, and maybe it is that sort of internal confirmation bias that you and I obviously have being Star Trek fans, but there is something unique about liking Star Trek. There is something unique about being a Star Trek fan. There's something about us, and it's something that I want to explore um, on my time here. So that's kind of where I'm at with this conversation. So I want to thank the people who answered. Uh, if you aren't a member of the Positively Tech discussion group, now's the time to join up because I do think, you know, because it is a protected area, we do, we don't just share uh, the stuff out of it. I'm not going to say the specific responses from people, and I hope that's okay. Yeah, overall, this is a conversation that I think just by looking at its limitations of, you know, there were a number of people who were like, I'd love to go to a convention, but can't for here's a number of reasons. I think it is worth exploring more about that fandom because as much as a convention is that concentrated aspect of it, there is something ongoing, right? There is something that is continuously going. There isn't every day. And that is the Star Trek fandom online. And then friendships like yours and mine, where you and I are living in the same town and we like the same stuff. So let's hang out, right? Yeah. And and the fact that that friendship came out of a convention, I think 
is a testament to what these events can be and, and what they're like. And again, that's not to to say that if you're someone who doesn't go to convention or can't go to a convention, that that's somehow lesser or anything like that. That's uh, how you experience your found fandom and how you're able to experience your fandom is valid and important. Yeah. Just our, our particular experience and what came out of that I think is, is really special and it elevates that experience of going to a convention that much more just that I got this friendship out of it. That's pretty cool. I agree. And, and like sociologically speaking, it's neat watching how people interact. And I like being a part of that interaction. And I think that's where your and my friendship ultimately comes from is our, ours is a friendship of interaction around certain media mediums and ways of thinking. And I think you and I have very much based a lot of our personality off of the virtues that we see in Star Trek and we try to convey those things. And I think that's something that, again, the virtues within Star Trek, it's initial vision, right? Other fandoms have, I guess, visions and stuff like that. But um, this one definitely has something that I would consider progressive, something that tries to reach out to people who might not necessarily see themselves represented and though it has been it hasn't always hit the mark and it has been slow to change in certain areas um, I am really happy to be a part of the Star Trek fandom and having taken a little ways a little time away from it in the last little while it's definitely something I'm happy to be returning to as well you know Star Trek is like that that lifelong friend that maybe you uh, don't connect with all the time but it'll always welcome you back. So <laughs> it's always good to reconnect. Absolutely. Well, sir, I think that is all I have on my side in terms of us chatting about convention and fandom in general. Um, what are some, uh, any final thoughts that you might have uh, before we uh, we call this one a day? Well, the one thing that just uh, kind of popped into my mind, I, I just another memory from a Star Trek convention, and that is... Uh, kind of under the category of interacting with the stars and that sort of thing. Aaron Eisenberg is someone who his journey as Nog in Deep Space Nine is so incredible to watch. And then his his personal journey in real life and uh, the tragic passing of him a few years ago. I, I just I feel so honored to have been able to meet him and connect with him at a convention and just the the graciousness like as we said all of the interactions with various star trek stars have been positive and i i feel like my experience meeting aaron eisenberg is kind of emblematic of the interactions i've had with many different star trek stars over the years and just the warmth with which he spoke to me full eye contact really kind of leaning in and and really listening to what I had to say and vice versa. And, you know, having this great conversation about uh, podcasting and all kinds of our, our, our shared experiences in that arena. And then, you know, him taking out his phone and following me on Twitter right there at the end of our conversation. It was just, it, it meant so much to me and uh, is one of the warmest memories I'll, I'll have for, meeting someone like him, not just because he's a good actor and a, a character that I liked on a show that I love, but just a genuinely warm human being with whom I, I had the distinct honor of getting to interact with. 
it, uh, it, it brings out the best in people. And he is someone who I think helped to set that best in people uh, around, around fandom. Like my unfortunate story with Aaron Eisenberg is I sat next to him at uh, Hash House of Go-Go at the Rio and decided to do my best impression of casual cool fan who won't give you a hard time when you're eating breakfast and you know obviously he passed away later that year and me thinking like sitting right next to the man I should have at least just just said thank you or just said you know I love you or something right Mm. um so yeah I guess that's that's the other piece of it is is maybe something that can the going to a convention can tell us is be friendly take that chance to reach out to another person and um you know, whatever they have to give, accept it. And if that works into a friendship or into some kind of larger connection that's good and positive, um, that's one thing that uh, being a member of the Star Trek fandom uh, affords us. And it's something that is a strength within us, I think. Absolutely. And and also on the flip side of that, as we kind of touched on earlier as well, if that interaction, you know, doesn't maybe go exactly as, as you'd hoped it would, and, and if you know this human being with whom you're you're trying to make a connection with isn't receptive to that you know accept that as well that you know these are human beings and they have their own lives and and sometimes that doesn't uh fit in with uh how we would want to connect with them but uh that happens in life as well as at Star Trek conventions 100% i've got this funny twitter video that i like to watch where this the seal I think it's a seal. It, it looks at a cat that's nearby. There's like a bunch of seals in this one cat, and it kind of makes this weird like kind of noise, and the cat just smacks it in the face. I know the video. And the yep. seal, yeah, and the seal like looks at it like, oh, oh okay, then it, it just sort of slides away. <laughs> uh, that, that's the that's the awkward interaction um, that makes me laugh. And I think yeah, sometimes sometimes you're the seal, sometimes you're the cat. <laughs> it's it's uh, <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, that's uh, that's good, and 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 yeah. I think someone like Aaron Eisenberg, again, uh, a Star Trek actor that we lost, um, but someone who I think we can, we can definitely claim as a member of our, of our community forever and always. And uh, the best part about it is we have an extremely very, and sorry, we have an extremely good watermark from which to, um, to measure ourselves. um, Because I think Aaron was a really good man, a really good person just overall. Here, here. Well, I think that wraps things up for the episode today. This is episode 216 of Positively Trek. It is brought to you with the powers of local friendship between Dan and Barry. We hope you enjoyed it. If you uh, want to follow us on the Facebooks, like we've mentioned many times before, you can join our discussion group, um, Positively Trek discussion group. There's a couple of questions you'll have to answer, but trust me, it's easy to get in. Um, we're just uh, making sure that if you're if you're coming in, you're going to be um, friendly and positive. Also, we can be followed on the social medias elsewhere. You can find me just at Barry DeFord. I'm also on the discussion group, and that's on the Facebook. Where can people find you, Dan? You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's just K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. And uh, it's Star Trek backwards. Uh, some people have sussed that out in the past. And Wait, what? I'm kidding. <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> and uh, on YouTube at YouTube.com slash Productions. And uh, yeah, the the podcast you can follow on Twitter at Positively Trek and on Instagram. And in honor of uh, of Mr. Gibson, we are keeping the end uh, 
the end catchphrase. So I thank you everyone for listening and as always stay positive. Save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.